Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that bounces through the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories with David Campbell including the Uber float takes on water and Toyota takes the plunge on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. We talk to the museum director from the National Motor Museum on the history of video driving games. We have two motoring minutes, the BMW X5 and the Kia Carnival. And last week when we put the cat among the pigeons with our expose on billboard advertising, we will give you an update this week. We road test the hottest version of the BMW X2 and we finish our series on odd car design. You can find more information at adrivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you might look up our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. Uber's long-awaited listing on the New York Stock Exchange did not go as well as the company had hoped. Uber's shares ended their first day down 7.6% at $41.50, although the S&P 500 closed in positive territory. In the past two years, only about a fifth of IPOs have ended their first day of trading in the red. At $41 a share, that values Uber at around $80 billion. That's a far cry from the $120 billion that was mentioned as recently as December. Despite the rocky debut, Uber's CEO said he was thrilled to complete the IPO, adding that the $8.1 billion that the Uber float raised would be critical to its future growth plans. Toyota Australia has confirmed that from the fourth quarter this year, it will add smartphone mirroring technology to selected models, including the fifth-generation RAV4 SUV that has just entered showrooms. While Apple CarPlay and Android Auto support will be progressively rolled out as standard equipment, owners of current-generation Corollas and Camrys, as well as early adopters of the new RAV4, will be able to have the technology retrofitted. The Japanese brand said the retrofit will be available via its dealer network, with only a quick visit to a local dealership required to have it installed. Unlike its rival, Mazda Australia, that offers a similar service for about $500, Toyota said its version will come at no cost to RAV4 owners, but it is still evaluating if existing Corolla and Camry owners will also receive it for free. Several years ago, Overdrive's David Brown asked Toyota about having more commonality in dashboard design and controls as a road safety measure. They didn't like the suggestion because they said their designs were unique and the best. Now they are accepting that people want familiar controls. Toyota Australia's move leaves Nissan as the only other top 10 brand to not offer Apple CarPlay and Android Auto support, although it is understood that the Leaf battery electric vehicle will be its first model to have it when it arrives in July. Tesla was recently dubbed by automotive classified advertising firm Auto Trader as the most loved brand in the auto industry in its 2019 New Car Awards. According to the company, Tesla appears to have formed the strongest connection with its customers among car makers today. 
The most loved brand award was determined through an analysis of feedback collected from a survey of over 60,000 vehicle owners who rated their cars in 16 key metrics. Tesla ultimately came out on top, propelled by a community of enthusiastic owners who proved particularly passionate about the brand. Meanwhile, a Los Angeles judge has determined that Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, must defend himself in court after calling a diver who helped save Thai schoolboys trapped in a cave a paedophile. Mr Musk is being sued by Vern Unsworth, who helped recruit UK cave divers who were instrumental in freeing the boys who had become stuck in the cave due to rising water levels in July 2018. Mr. Musk sent engineers from his Tesla company and a small submarine to Thailand to help free the boys. However, it was never used and was branded a PR stunt by Mr. Unsworth. This resulted in the offending tweet from Mr. Musk. The federal court judge set an October trial date. Honda Australia made history at the Mount Panorama Bathurst racetrack over the Easter long weekend by setting a benchmark lap time for a front-wheel drive production car. Driven by 2009 Formula One world champion and Honda ambassador Jensen Button, the factory specification Civic Type R recorded a 2 minute 35 second lap around the 6.2 kilometre circuit. From a historical perspective, the Honda Civic Type R was quicker around Mount Panorama than the legendary Ford XY Falcon GTHO Phase 3, built as the fastest four-door production car in the world in the early 1970s and arguably one of the most iconic Australian cars of all time. Alan Moffat's lap record in the GTHO around the original and shorter Mount Panorama circuit, set in 1972, was 2 minutes 36 seconds, almost 1.3 seconds slower than the Civic. The Civic Type R is a road car straight off the production line and without any modifications. Incidentally, Jensen Button already holds the unofficial lap record for the Mount Panorama circuit, a spectacular 1 minute 48 second lap set in a Formula One car in 2011. The city of Los Angeles has released what it calls LA's Green New Deal, pledging $860 million per year to expand its transportation system. Electric vehicles are at the fore. It pledges an $8 billion upgrade to the city's electricity grid by 2022 to help build the United States' largest, cleanest and most reliable urban electrical grid to power the next generation of green transportation. The city aims to supply 55% renewable energy by 2025 and 100% by 2045 and will convert all city fleet vehicles to zero emission where technically feasible by 2028. When LA starts strongly pushing electric cars and public transport, then you know it is a significant trend. How important is a standout colour and what value do you place on being a very early production example? Well, the answer appears to be $183,000 in the case of a 1972 LJ Tirana GTR XU1. The car had been stored for 24 years and was recently offered with no reserve at Shannon's Melbourne Classic Car Auction. The price for the Tirana was around double its pre-auction guiding range of $80,000 to $100,000. The result for the XU1 was indicative of the high demand for Australian classics at the auction, which grossed $3.3 million in total sales, with 90% of all lots sold on the day. The 70s were a time for very striking colours for Holdens and Valiance, for example Plum Dinger Purple and Little Hood Riding Red. And that has been the news.
The National Motor Museum in South Australia has just won a national accolade. It won an award for their exhibition Game Engine Digital Legends, which showed the evolution of video driving games. I caught up with the enthusiastic, even effervescent, Paul Rees, the director of the museum. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good, mate. Good now. That's good. I hope this adds an element of sophistication (laughs) to all my late-night playing of games. Is that the case? We are hoping to do that for you. We are hoping that we can legitimise video gaming as a, as, a, as a cultural and historic pursuit now. <laughs> <laughs> you have there a range of different examples from the early days through to now? Yeah, we do. Yeah, look, our inspiration point for this exhibition of the influence of motoring on video gaming came about by asking ourselves a very simple question. When did we start racing, driving, or riding pixels? (laughs) We have a good idea of when we started playing tennis with them, because that was one of the earliest games, 1972, called Pong. People might remember that. It's a very simple two white paddle bats that were batting back and forth one square ball (laughs) between the screens. So we, we asked ourselves that question. I remember my parents buying that, and we laughed our heads off. It was just such incredible fun at that particular time. I've got fond memories of that game too, yeah. So we, we asked ourselves, okay, well, that, that's when we started doing, you know, playing, pretending we were playing tennis. When did we start pretending we were driving or riding? And that was our inspiration point. And we have discovered that we are quite boldly putting down the idea that it was a game called Night Driver, and it was made in 1976, and it was uh, released on Atari, and happened to be the same game developer who had two years earlier created Space Invaders. Was that a derivative of the Hasselhoff Knight Rider, or was it just... No, I don't think it was out that time. No, Knight Driver, I mean, I think we're talking very, very early production values here. So it's a black screen with white tracks and one white pixel in the middle that you've got to keep between the tracks ah. and i think because it's black they had no other option but to call it night <laughs> <laughs> and i <laughs> it could be necessity rather than design here <laughs> um and so yeah it's called night driver no it would have been um hasselhoff would have come in the early 80s i'm sure so we've got this at the museum in a in a, an installation exhibition called the game engine and it's the first thing you see as you pop around a corner from the museum and you, you're going through all the vehicles and the only exhibitions and you come across a giant display being projected out of eight large TV screens all put together. And we have created the Atari joystick that everyone remembers having in the palm of their hand, but this time you've got to stand on it and it's giant. So it's a pimped up game, this giant joystick that you physically are as tall as for the average height. And you stand on the platform and you try and play this game on this um, eight screens printed, uh, which are displayed on the side of what looks like a, a generic gaming PC box. And, you, and then you duck around the corner and then you find that there are 14 screens with 11 games being, uh, that are playable. So what our curators did was they, they looked into the history of the games and they had loads of fun playing these games. And we've, we've selected a bunch that we think are either leaps forward in technology or leap forward in the kind of gaming 
that you would do rather than some of the games are about just keeping on the track and not crashing. And then there's some of the games which encourage you to go off track and do what the hell you like. And that's one called Crazy Taxi, which was an early sort of game that I guess would have inspired like the GTAs, the Grand Theft Autos, which are like quite manic and allow players to do what the hell they want on it. We've got 11 games which we think are pretty iconic games They've got a good reason for being there. As it, either they've, the pixel rate has increased and they're looking more realistic, or there's a kind of there's a quirk to the gaming and it's a leap forward in gaming. Paul, this has been lovely. I really do appreciate your time and congratulations on your award. Thank you very much, folks. Your listeners hopefully will come to the museum at some point and and uh, play with the game engine, enjoy the game engine for what it is, and also the rest of the exhibition and the uh, displays at the museum. Where is it at? Birdwood, South Australia. Is that out of the city centre? Yeah, we're about an hour, an hour's drive. So we are classed as a regional museum. We're in the wonderful Adelaide Hills, which are gorgeous at every time of year and surrounded by lovely food and wine and lots of things to do. Paul, once again, thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. You're listening to Overdrive. With almost 50% market share today, SUVs have grown at a steady rate over the past 10 years. The prestige end dominated by one vehicle, the BMW X5, and Rob Fraser's had a drive of the 2019 version. With a 20-year-plus successful history, the X5 in some ways personifies the urban prestige SUV. Stylish, practical, as well as being packed with technology, comfort and safety features. Suited to four occupants with incredibly comfortable front seats, you feel like you are sitting in your favourite lounge seat while propelling a two-tonne-plus SUV with ease. The straight-six turbo diesel engine has more than enough power and torque for your needs, with stunning economy, and the ride and handling is first class. It's not an off-road vehicle, more suited to the urban escapades along with weekend trips to the farm or the ski fields. It's also a little expensive, starting from around $113,000 plus on-road costs, and with a sometimes very expensive options list, the X5 isn't for everyone, but for those that do decide to buy it, they will be rewarded. This is Overdrive across Australia. Last week, we reported on some research from the Australian Road Research Board that suggested outdoor advertising could reduce road accidents. At the best, we felt that this should not lead to a grand generalisation that all billboards are good for you. We have tried to discuss the research with ARRB, but they have passed on all inquiries to their client, Outdoor Media Association. At the same time, they have replaced their launch press release with what I would consider a more qualified document. Next week I will interview Tess Phillips, the Managing Director of the Outdoor Media Association. This is Overdrive across Australia. And while we were talking about advertising, we're going to talk to our friend Alan Zervis about a road test. But Alan joins us on the line, and let's touch just on that billboard advertising issue. Alan, I think you had an example of where they put up a big screen but then took it down. Yeah, this was uh, years ago, obviously, but uh, at the Norman B5 ways in Brisbane, it's a very large intersection, and a lot of cars go through that every day. And this thing was, uh, oh gosh, it was a billboard-sized TV. And the concern was from council and uh, and government was that motorists would sit there and at the intersection and watch TV, you know, a TV ad or, or whatever, instead of concentrating on what they were doing. Did you ever do that? 
Oh, I did. <laughs> I don't ask you in judgment. I ask you with empathy. I, I understand that if you sit there, then you take your concentration away from looking for the green light. That's right. And, uh, you know, on one occasion I got beat from behind. And, you know, fair enough. I, I wasn't paying attention. But it wasn't – it was a distraction that's on the road. You know, traffic lights and uh, street signs are distracting enough when there's many, many of them in a small area. But something that's actually moving that you would be home watching in your lounge room there at an intersection, I think, is uh, both a great idea and a terrible idea. As I said, there was a suggestion that when Sydney had the 2000 Olympics that they might put some highlights up on a big screen at a major intersection, which would merely exacerbate the sort of things that they didn't measure in the research, namely how many people get sidetracked and reduce the capacity of the intersection. But enough of that. Let's talk about a road test. It's an SUV, but it's a pretty hot one. What was it? BMW call it an SAV, so a sports activity vehicle as opposed to a utility vehicle. What the difference is, I have no idea. But it was a BMW X2 M35i. Now, the X2 is their small, well, I would have called it an SUV, although they're even numbers, X2, X, well, more particularly the X4 and the X6, tend to have a very slopey back. This little one isn't quite as pronounced in its attempt to have a fastback, a little bit more like a hatchback in looks. Well, I call it a high riding hatch. I think the reason that it's not got such a sloping back is that once you get to a certain size, it would become useless if they put that same back end on a car that's so small. They have a number of engines in it. You had, of course, the top of the range. I did. 35i. But the smallest one is actually a three-cylinder, 1.5 litre. Mm. The rest of them are four cylinders, two litres. Your top of the range, M35i, what sort of performance figures did that have? Look, they claim it's got a, uh, a zero to 100 time of 4.9 seconds, and I find that very easy to believe. Mm. It's a very powerful engine. It's a turbocharged four-cylinder, obviously. And it is a very involving car. But there is a substantial amount of turbo lag. 225 kilowatts, but 450 newton metres, driven through an eight-speed sports automatic. But you're saying turbo lag's a bit of a problem. Yeah, and I've struck this in cars before. Uh, normally, um, in back in the old days, there was quite a substantial lag as the turbo spooled up to give that engine uh, as much air as possible. Maybe it's because it's such a high-performance engine, but there seem to be, you know, you put your foot down, especially at a set of lights, and it really has a, a jolly good think before it takes off, and then it takes off like a scalded cat. It had all-wheel drive. It does, and some fancy diffs going on as well it's uh, supposed to stop torque steer uh, and it did it was pretty successful at that you know i've driven some cars most notably the previous generation focus st and that was quite mental the torque steer on that was uh, dreadful so this is all-wheel drive that gives you sure-footedness in a betterman situation not for the dirt road I did have it on a dirt road and it handled that really well. Uh, even the tyres with their uh, schmear of rubber were, were pretty good. The point was the grip was great. That was a graded dirt road, I guess. Yes, yes. Uh, it, it was uh, still fairly rough, uh, but uh, certainly not fine dust. The wheels on it, does it make for good handling but rather poor ride? Yes, yeah, in a nutshell, the ride is not adaptive as it is in some of the other X2 models. Uh, you can't get adaptive ride with the 20-inch wheels. Why? I don't know. 
but there's just the merest schmear of rubber on the outside of that tyre, and um, the ride was extremely firm. Not unpleasant, but you, 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 know, you certainly felt every bump. Do you feel good inside? Is the interior up to scratch? Absolutely delicious. It is a beautiful interior, and I particularly like their wireless Apple CarPlay and wireless charging. So you don't have to plug it in to get Apple CarPlay? No, the wireless charger is in the centre armrest, so you lift up the top bit of the centre armrest, put your phone in, and that's charging away merrily. I think it's a problem that you and I have of swapping cars each week, but, gee, I just find that much better. There's nothing worse than linking up your phone and then finding that it doesn't work as fully as it might because you haven't got it plugged in. Some car makers won't work the voice actuation, for example, unless you've plugged your phone in. In other words, they're relying on your phone to have the technology rather than necessarily built within the car. Price, what are we talking about here? It is just under 70000 but on the road, that's about 76000 I think, from memory. Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, David. Alan Service from gaycarboys.com.au, talking about the BMW, the X2, their small sort of SUV, certainly not a sedan, but with the M Sports package, and he was driving the top-of-the-range M35i. You're listening to Overdrive. Rob Fraser gives us a motoring minute on the Kia Carnival People Mover. Firstly, Carnival has a huge and practical internal layout, with seating for up to eight occupants and, importantly, enough room for their luggage as well. Unusually, I could fit my bulky 190cm frame into the third row seats in relative comfort. Secondly, there are the Kia features that extend on the range-topping Platinum to ventilated front seats, the full suite of safety features and a premium audio system. Thirdly, there is the choice of either petrol or diesel engine with car-like ride and handling. Fourthly, styling, something not often associated with people movers, but Kia have managed to make the Carnival look smaller than it is and sleek at the same time. Lastly, there is the Kia value proposition, packed with features, good pricing and an industry-leading 7-year unlimited kilometre warranty. My pick is the Platinum Diesel. However, if you're happy to forsake a few comfort and safety features, the SLI is great value. This is Overdrive across Australia. And our final segment in a series with Dean Oliver and Brian Smith on trending car design. We start with a reflection on the concept design Icona Nucleus. No traditional windows, but it comes with semi-transparent body colour panels that allow passengers to look out while remaining shrouded from the outside. Yes, that's a challenge for me, David. I, uh, I like to be able to see, as a, as a driver, I, I want to be able to, to have some communication visually with drivers of other cars. And uh, uh. I'm not a fan of dark window tinting, and I want to be able to see the drivers in the cars. That, well, uh, uh, imagine if you're a pedestrian and a, or a cyclist, and uh, you want to try and understand, as the driver of this vehicle, if there is indeed a driver, have, have I been seen? You know, uh, should I step out? Am I safe? There's no way of knowing. Hmm. The Volkswagen ID Rooms, R-O-O-M-double-Z, also has this sort of sliding door feature on the side, which two doors, again, like two sliding doors out onto a veranda, rather than opening, as you said, Brian, that can capture people if they're next to another car. This one has two sliding doors out, so it has that sort of wide-open effect it has rotating lounge seats in it, but it also has what they call apple skin, an artificial leather made in part from apple juice waste. 
Very cool. Well, if you get stuck in the desert, you can chew the seats. <laughs> so the days of leather seats have gone. Uh, this sort of vegan-inspired uh, car design in interiors. <laughs> well, leather was always in inverted commas, wasn't it? Because there's yeah. no guarantee that a cow had been anywhere near your car seats for <laughs> a lot of modern leather leather seats. Sort of, I guess, mulched-up stuff that's um, that's then turned into a, a covering. So I, I like the idea of using apple skins or other things to. To uh, make it maybe not food that maybe it's waste would be better than food that perhaps could feed an animal or a human. Apple juice waste. I suppose that might be the sort of stuff you get in uh, after you get a juice, all the sort of leftover stuff. But yeah. do you pick the colour based on whether it's a different type of a Fuji apple or a Granny <laughs> Smith? Apple skins, yes. Uh, pineapple skins, no, not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> We talked about not having a grill. The Infinity Q Inspiration has a very big front grill. Brian, I think that wouldn't do pedestrians well. And, and no. I wonder, your point, why do you need such a bullnose front of a car that's got an electric motor and it makes for Dean a rather blunt-looking car as well as, from a pedestrian point of view, a blunt physical car? It certainly speaks to Dean's point about challenges for designers without grills, and that's just a fail in my book. It's got a very strange shape, and, and I'm not sure it's uh, how it would work if I was hit by it. It seems to, to kind of buckle me down and over. But what do you think, Dean? It's, uh, it's huge and bland, and, and they've taken the imaginative opportunity yeah. of just putting a logo and the word name of the car printed across uh, the yeah. I think there's a long way to go there in terms of design, and I'm encouraged that the designers are starting to uh, to change their way of thinking. And uh, this one's got a way to go. Road safety-wise, yeah. Would you like to be hit by that one? Uh, not sure. <laughs> it's got a very sharp uh, edge to it, hasn't it? A few sharp edges around there. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, no, I think I'd keep away from that one as a, as a pedestrian. Talking about a bit of a way to go, we finish perhaps with an urban car. The Aura, O-R-A, R1 electric car. It's from Great Wall. I think it's more utilitarian looks than I would say style. An interesting yes. one, this one, David. It, it, it kind of looks alarmed. If I see this car coming towards me, it, it's, it, it looks alarmed at seeing me. It's interesting styling at the front, and it's uh, interesting, um, almost amusing. <laughs> um, yes. It looks for me like a benchtop radio, old-fashioned radio, with a speaker in the middle and the two dials at each end. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's brilliant. And that was Dean Oliver and Brian Smith. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David Campbell, Alan Zervis, Rob Fraser, Dean Oliver, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help in getting this program to air. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.